Uh, but it is our perspective on life. Uh, and let me, if you have to leave early or maybe you're just tired, you had a long Saturday night and you uh, are going to fall asleep and you, the sound of my voice is soothing. <laughs> or maybe it's just grating, so it'll keep you awake. Let, let me just give you the big idea and, and, and we'll dive in. Here's the big idea. Your perspective of life or your perspective on life determines how you proceed through life. Your perspective, your view, your understanding of how life works or your understanding of what life's about will determine how you proceed, how you move forward, how you uh, approach life itself. And so one of the most critical things we can talk about and we can unpack is our understanding, our perspective, our viewpoint on life. Because here's what's amazing. You can think you're doing the right thing and be absolutely wrong because it's your perspective. Let me give you an illustration. When we were uh, launching this church, uh, as we were doing that, Sorry, I just got to get this thing off. It's going to bother me. As we were launching the church, uh, we were meeting with a few different couples uh, to say, hey, do you want to be a part of launching this church? And, and as we were talking to them about it, and so we'd have them over to our house and, and have dinner, and one, one such couple came over, and I was out grilling, and they brought over some food, and, and I come into the house, and, and I look at the guacamole, and I love making guac. I'm kind of a, a big guac snob, and I, I looked at it, and my wife made guac, and she didn't ask me for help, and I was a little offended at that because, I mean, I make amazing guac. Um, and so I taste her guac, and I, I taste it, and I go, oh, man, this needs salt. And so I go then and take it over, you know, as the couples are right there in our, in our kitchen, and take the guac right over there and begin to salt the guacamole, stir it up, taste it. Oh, oh that's much better. And then I kind of look at my wife, and, and there's horror in her face. And I look at the bowl and realize that's not our bowl. And that is not our guac. I literally assaulted this couple's guacamole. And they, by the way, did not join us on this grand adventure of church planning. I don't know why. I don't know why. My wife's afterwards, I can't believe you did that. Well, how could you? I didn't know. Now, here's, 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 but here's the truth underneath that, right? Your perspective, my perspective determines how you proceed, how you move forward. And if your perspective is flawed, if it's off, you will move forward in destructive ways. You will assault someone's guac. And this is true no matter what stage, and we actually get this intuitively at a very young age. My wife's out of town this week, and uh, I was driving, and I'm, so I'm a little all over the place already, so I apologize, but I was driving my boys, and my son asked me this question. He's very con contemplative in the back, and he says, Dad, yes, son, when you die, I'm like, wait a second, where is this going? <laughs> he said, Dad... When you die, will I get your allowance or will Ella? 
well, son, I think you meant to say inheritance. Yeah, yeah, that one. I said, well, uh, when I die, we're, there's not going to be much left. Um, but I hope to give some to you, Ella, and Miles, and your grandkids. But he understood. His perspective was like, man, I, I mean, am I riding in what I'll get? You know, am I? See, your perspective on life. Your perspective how you view life. And, and the problem is we don't often stop to evaluate how we view life. We often just think our view is correct. We often just assume that the way we see life, the way we understand life, is the exact way to view and understand life. And this morning, we're going to dive in, like uh, Catherine said, into the feeding of the 5,000. This isn't just a passage about feeding a few thousand people. This is one of those keystone important miracles. It's so important, by the way, that this is the only miracle that all four Gospels record. It's so important that two times Mark, who is charging forward, always advancing. I mean, the number one word in the book of Mark is immediately now, and he wants to move forward. He refers back to this miracle twice. This is a miracle about perspective and how it impacts how we live. This is a miracle where Jesus says this is actually the key for understanding how to live out the Christian life and walk through this uh, world. So he said, okay, pay attention. And what he wants to do is in this time, in our short time, in these 30 minutes, is evaluate your perspective on life. Because it already impacts how you are moving through life. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 6. The context of the passage is Jesus just sent out the disciples. We talked about that last week. They did their journey. They're coming back, and they're excited to share to Jesus all that went on, ex except Jesus' popularity is at its highest it's ever been. I mean, he's just getting mobbed and swarmed. Thousands upon thousands of people are around him. I mean, he is the man. I, the text will say uh, that he is so slammed with people that they don't even have time to eat. So he looks around. He wants to get some time with his disciples. You, you know, they, he can tell they need some rest, some relaxation. They need to debrief the last, you know, season of ministry that they just went in. So, so he's going like, hey, let's get some space away from all these people. In verse 32, it says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had, circle this word right here, compassion on them. Because they are like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So they're trying to get away and get from the crowd, but the crowd's so persistent, they see where he's going, and they just began to run ahead and try to catch him where he's going to land. By this time, so he's been, he sees them, he's got compassion on them. He's what turned, you know, to a rest and relaxation vacation. Jesus turned it into an all-day seminar. I mean, he's just teaching all day. Disciples are kind of like looking at him going, okay, okay, we're supposed to get some time. We wanted time with you, all these people around you. And now he keeps going and going and going. I know you're God, but are you that good? I mean, can people listen to you all day long? Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. 
I love how they inform God. They advise God. Um, this is a remote place. Oh, really? Thank you very much. Did not see that. And it's already very late in the day. You've been talking for hours. It's good, God. It's good. No, no, no. I mean, oh, the people are getting so much out of it. Oh, it's good. But it's getting late. It's pretty far. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, but he answered, he looks at his disciples, hey, you give them something to eat. Hey, hey, hang on, hang on. No, it, it's busy. We've had a long day. We just came back. We're just trying to get some downtime. Jesus' response, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wage. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread to give it to them to eat? Come on. Come on. What you're asking is impossible. Well, then Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? Go. See. Go check it out. I'm like, okay. Okay. We'll humor you, Jesus. We'll, well, you want us to give them something. We'll show you how much we have. When they found out, they said, we got five loaves and two fish. By the way, that, that, is, that is lunch for a single person. The disciples didn't even come prepared. They had enough food. These are small little barley loaves that's enough for like, hey, one person, really good lunch. They got 12 guys in Jesus. This is not a good meal just for them. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the loaves. Then he gave to his disciples... Uh, uh, Sorry, I skipped. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. I mean, just unpack that, right? They started out with a little. They entrusted to Jesus. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who were eaten were 5,000. In fact, in, in that day, the Jewish culture, they only counted the men, not the women and children. Most scholars believe it was 5,000 family units, that the amount was closer to between 15 and perhaps 25,000 people. Now, in this passage... I believe are three fundamental questions we have to ask about our perspective. Because if it's true, your perspective on life determines how you proceed through life. We need to take a moment and evaluate, okay, what is our perspective? Is it accurate? Do we see things the way God sees them? Hey, listen to this. Question number one. Three critical questions to ask. First critical question to ask is simply this. How do you see people? The first thing that we see in the text that, that we have to wrestle with, with our perspective, is how we see people. The disciples, it actually doesn't say. It doesn't tell us how they saw people. It's Jesus says he had compassion on them, that when he saw them, he felt something. You know, I think when the disciples saw the uh, people, they felt something too. You know, just think about this. You've been going hard. You've been working hard for God. You're finally going to get some time away. And then you see, as you're coming to a place that you think is just your own, this mass of humanity waiting for you. 
I, I like to put myself in the tax, and so if I was in the boat, I, here's how I'd respond. Oh, those lame jerks. Leeches. Can't they just give us some time away? Uh, my view, and I, I'm uh, just be honest here, and this is my view, you would probably respond way more godly than me. Be like, oh my goodness. All right, let's, let's, let's cast away. Let's find a different place. This is obviously not a solitary place. Let's go to a solitary place. We missed it somehow. We thought this was solitary, but this isn't solitary. And, and so when I see people, and so oftentimes when we are in the midst of chaotic moments, it kind of reveals some of the, the necessary or true things about us, doesn't it? It's like, man, it's another person. Another problem. Leeches. We would never say that, but man, I mean, didn't they get enough of Jesus? And, and then you can hear them think in their heart, well, you know, Jesus really likes these people. He's probably not going to send them away. Great. See, the first question for us to unpack in our perspective, how we view life, how do you see People. When you look at people around you, when you see humanity on the street, how do you see people? Jesus looked, he saw, even though tired, says he had compassion. Now, that's the Greek word splagizomai. It, it is literally a gut reaction. It is an intense feeling in the bowels. It, it is this action or this, this heart that produces pain that moves to action, that you feel something, and as a result of feeling deeply, you are moved to action on the other person's behalf. And it says, Jesus looked at them, and he felt compassion. He hurt for them. Why? Because it says they're like sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep without a shepherd is? It's a dead sheep. That's what it is. It is literally an absolute dead sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. Sheep can't fend for themselves. They need someone to provide and protect. In and of themselves, they're vulnerable. And when he saw people, he didn't see yet another person. He saw a hurting person that desperately needed the love of God, that was vulnerable. And so what did he do? He engaged in that moment. What about you? When you see people, what do you see? Do you look to the stuff on the external of them? Do you look at, at all the things they're doing, or, or, or do you begin to see, you know what, they're hurting. They might put on a good front. They might be a little obnoxious, but, but that's all a front for their insecurity and their pain. What they need is a friend. What they need is Jesus. Uh, my wife and I went on a date this last week, and it was, it was a blast, and she was telling me about their mama's missional community, and they're going through a Beth Moore study, and, and, and she was telling me uh, about this as we're sitting uh, in the, um, the San Pedro Square Market there, and we're talking about it. And in the series, Beth Moore talks about this, and I don't know the quote exactly because I didn't see it, but, but something along the lines is if, if somehow if we can see people and yet our heart not break, then something's broken in our heart. 
That if somehow we can see people and look at them and our hearts not break for them and our hearts not hurt and move to, then, then it's not a, about them. It speaks more about us and our heart and the brokenness inside of us. And, and we walk from San Pedro Square and our friends have been telling us about this place called Paper Plains. And so we wanted to check out this place called Paper Plains. And as we we're going there, uh, we walk down and... And I just started looking around. I started seeing people differently. Because I live in Little Willow Glen. It's kind of sheltered. And you see, it reminded me a little bit of Chicago in my days there. of People in hurting and need. And, and Jenny makes this comment. She's like, yeah, this is only a mile and a half from where we live. And yet we, I live with blinders on because it's way more comfortable to me. And it's a lot easier first perspective question we have to ask. How do you see people? My good buddy uh, Tim Lundy says this. I love this. He says, God determines our encounters, but we determine our engagement. See, every day we come into connection with so many people, and God determines those encounters, but but how you see people, your perspective of people will determine how you engage, whether you care to the point of loving them, going out of your way, sharing the love of Jesus. First question, how do you see people? Second question then is, what is uh, your response to need? What is your response to, to the need around you? The disciples, when they looked at it, you know, they saw this mat. Think about this. They're looking out, maybe, let's just say 20,000 people. Need is overwhelming. The problem is massive. The problem's huge. They're looking at, at everybody and going, okay, guys, guess what? We can't do anything, so we're not going to do anything at all. Hey, Jesus, when I see need, send them away. Basically, the, because the problem's so big, then it's not my problem. Because the problem's so big, then, then, then I can't engage. I can't do anything about it. And the little I could do would just be a drop in the bucket. Hey, let's talk human trafficking for a second. Yeah, you, I mean, come on. What can you really do in that? Can you do anything? Can you make a dent? I can't do anything, so I'm going to do nothing. Send them away. This is so often, especially when we want to stay in our comfortable lives, how we respond to the pain and need around us. Hey, you know, just, I, I, I can't. It's not my problem. It doesn't affect me. And there's nothing I can do. Jesus looks at it. No, what did he say? You feed them. You feed them. By the way, you just need to understand this as followers of Jesus. God asks us, God calls us into the impossible and to do the impossible. He says, you feed them. He looks at his disciples and says, by the way, you take care of it. It's your problem. Because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're in desperate need of hope and life. You engage. What is your response to need? What the disciples saw as a problem, 
Jesus saw as an opportunity. Our church, we said, hey, when we're talking about need around us, we, we don't think we can fix everything. And this, especially human trafficking, we just talked about it. We, we don't know even where to start. We, so we're starting somewhere. We're starting with Run for Courage. Starting with getting involved and doing what we can. At this school, I, I have this dream that every high school would want a church on their campus because of how we act and respond and love to this campus. That this, this campus would be changed because we love them in tangible ways. We've done a bunch of service projects. We give the teachers um, donuts every single Friday. Uh, it's gotten to the point, our service project this uh, Sunday, by the way, the PTSA asked if they could join us. Isn't that cool? The PTSA calls us about stuff and asks, hey, would you help us in this area? They want us to show up to their meetings to be a part of what they're doing to influence this campus. That started two years ago because a church said, this is more than a place to meet. It's a people to love. And through that, God has given us influence with the faculty and the staff and the teachers and the students and the parents. That happens because we courageously step into things that we feel are impossible and improbable, and God does amazing things. What the disciples saw as a problem, Jesus saw as an opportunity. You feed them. Could it be that the greatest problem around you is, in fact, the opportunities for God to work through you? I don't know what it is in your sphere, but, but some of those things, that you go, there's no way that could. And could that be the opportunity that God has for you to step into? He says, it's, it's, it's you step into, you love. You don't have all the answers. You don't pretend to have all the answers. And because you can't do everything for everyone, a lot of times we do nothing. But you can do something for someone, and that is the call. Bring to him what you have. The first question, how do you see people? Second, what is your response to need? This is readjust our perspective of life. And finally, how do you view your resources, your stuff, resources, your time, your money, your energy, your stuff? You notice the disciples, when, when Jesus asked them, hey, you feed them, they focused on what they didn't have. They focused on this stuff. Hey, if we're going to solve that problem, listen, we don't have this and we don't have that. We'd need, literally, the text, 200 denarii. That's eight months worth of wages. You, you expect us, I mean, that's, we don't have that kind of cash, God. And, and, and then they're also thinking, is that the best way to spend it? I mean, we could spend it with just to feed a big group, you know. Come on. And that's kind of how we justify it with God. Oh, I don't really know. I mean, come on, God. That's probably not the best solution. There's other ways we, you know. The disciples focused on what they didn't have. It's our response a lot of times when we look at our resources and stuff we have. We go, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I, I would love to make an impact. I'd love to be a part, but I can't because I don't, have, I don't have these sort of things. You don't understand my life. Can I just, I'm going to go down a road real quick. If you're in your 20s, 
You have time. You may not have a lot of money, and I get that, but you have time. In your 20s, by the way, I pray that you would catch this and catch God's heart because you'll look back on it and you'll realize you've wasted some of the most valuable years where you had freedom to do things that you could never do because you, you don't have a family to support and all the other stuff on there. And you just go, you know what, I feel busy, but I'm not really all that busy. You have time to give like never before to be used in the kingdom of God. And you step fully into that. Your 30s and 40s, by the way, you're, you got some time too. I know it's a little chaotic and you got the job and the kids and all that kind of stuff. But you know what happens? In the 30s and 40s, you have enough wisdom and energy left to do some real good. And that you step into some roles and step into lead. And so oftentimes you retreat and you go, you know what? I'm safe in my house and my kids or my job. And you focus only on your career. You focus only on your family. And you go, it's us four and we stay holy huddle. And God says, no, 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 no. What do you have? What do you have? 50s, 60s, maybe you're here. And and yeah, you have more money than, than probably, well, hopefully than the 20s but maybe not. You know what you have, though, that's missing in the church is wisdom and the sages of this generation to speak in, to invest back. I'm so proud of so many of those in that stage of life here because you've made a choice to be here, to give back, to to impact the next generation, and we need more of that. Disciples focused on what they didn't have, and it's the scarcity mentality. So weird. The, the wealthiest nation on the face of the planet, we have the scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality is this. As a, uh, as a kid, uh, there's three of us boys. We didn't grow up with a whole lot. In fact, there's times we didn't know uh, if we were going to have groceries. We lived uh, first handful of years in government subsidized living in downtown Dallas. And as three boys, what we learned real quickly is if there's any hope of getting seconds— eat fast, right? Any hope, I mean, three of us boys, we, we just started to, to shovel it in. I still eat really fast to this day. It's a problem. I'm working on it, okay? Pray for me. Scarcity mentality says this, I don't have enough, and so I'm going to consume as fast as I can. I, I don't have enough for me to survive, And the reality is, is with that mentality, you'll never have enough. Because enough always shifts up, even when you get more. Jesus said, ask. He asked them to bring to him what they did have. Take inventory of what you do have. I challenge you, this week, take some time, write down exactly what you do have. You're going like, you know what? I, I rent a home. I have a home that God can use. My family, man, I got five people, total, including me. We, we can all be, I got, look at your finances, look at your energy, look at your time. Take inventory. Remember Jesus said, what do you have? And then he just didn't leave it in the theoretical. He said, go, see, bring back, offer what you have to Jesus. Okay, if it's time, God, you have my time. Show me how to use it. Your money. God, you have my money. This is, is, I'm simply a steward anyways. And we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But I'm simply a steward anyways. Whatever you want me to do with it, I'm, I'm yours. I'm in. 
my energy. I, I, you have X amount of energy. You have X amount of hours per day. You have X amount of energy per day. You say, okay, how do you want me to use my energy? And then simply obey his instructions. We often only see what we don't have. And God is asking you simply to bring to him what you do have. Instead of going, well, I don't have this, I don't have this. Go, okay, I have this. Could you use it? The first time that I really began to understand this concept was uh, our move from Georgia to California. And, and, our, and our move to Georgia to California, it, w- it was a rough move. Uh, I owned a home there. It didn't cost much to own a home, by the way. Uh, $46,000 to own, by the way. I, you can all move to Georgia and own a home, okay? But you have to live in Georgia. Uh, <laughs> as, as we were in Georgia, uh, we tr- developed an exit plan with my uh, uh, job where I was at, and was on our side trying to be really generous to give uh, plenty of time for transition and Halfway through it, they actually went back on the plans that we agreed on and left us two months without pay, salary. Got to figure out how to move to California and have moving expenses. Got to figure out how to pay this mortgage and didn't make a whole lot and then take care of my family. And it was in a season where, man, I, I literally wasn't sure how we were going to make it through. And we had two cars at the time, and I knew one, I didn't, only wanted to bring out one car. So I'm like, you know what, I'll sell this car. And it's a Honda Passport, 1999. Oh, it was beautiful, loved it. Uh, and just, uh, I was like, I'll sell my car, and you know, if we can get $5,000 for it, and that's a little pushing it, but if we could get $5,000 for it, that'll help us transition and move through. And so uh, trying for about a month or so to sell it, didn't get a whole lot of bites. Uh, And the guy that in our church that was helping us sell it, I just felt like God one night was saying, you should give it to him. Now he was a dad in our high school ministry, had four amazing kids. They didn't make hardly anything, but he had four kids in high school and they needed an extra vehicle and couldn't afford it. Like, well, that was my game plan for figuring out how to feed my family and move, God. That's, that's the plan. That's literally all we have. I, I don't know if you looked at our bank account recently, but I have. I wrestled a little bit and I said, okay. God, I'll, I'll give it to you. Uh, and, uh, and that means giving it to him. And so I went to Dale. We'll call him Dale because that's his name. And, and I said, Dale, you know what? I just feel like God told me that he wants, wants you to have the car. And he had been working to try to sell it for us, just out of the generosity of his heart. And he said, oh, no, no, I can't. I said, it's not taking it from me. It's God. And he wants your family to have it. No lie. So two weeks before we leave, I get a knock on the door, and a courier shows up. I've never had a courier show up to my house before, and nor after. And I get this, like, uh, little envelope. I have to sign for it. And I open it, and it's from a guy that I met once. I said, hey, heard you're moving. Figured you'd need some moving around cash. Sad to see you leave the area. Gary, for $5,000. 
listen, listen. Here's the perspective Jesus wanted his disciples to understand, and he wants you to get. The little you have in the hands of Jesus is more than enough. And when you stop gripping your stuff and start, stop saying, I don't, and you go, God, you have it all, he'll call you into impossible places that feel overwhelming, and you don't know how it will work out, and that's when he gets to show up and show off his glory and his might. See, because your perspective on life will determine how you proceed through life. The question, the question is, how do you see people? Will you invite God and just say, God, I, I, I want to see them the way you see them. I want my heart to break. How do you see the needs around you? You go, I, I, they're not somebody else's problem. As a follower of Jesus, I have to engage. And, and then how do you see your resources? You go, okay, God, they're not mine, they're yours. And as long as I hold on to them, I still will never have enough. But when I entrust it to you, they are more than enough. And so I just simply want to invite you this morning to give it to God. And, and, and I'd encourage you, do not make a financial gift to like awakening if you're feeling like that this morning. I, I just like had that pop through my head. It's not about here. It's about out there and seeing him show up in mighty ways. Because if there's any sense, I, I believe God's doing amazing, powerful work, and he's providing for us, so I can say that. But God, break my heart for the people that break your heart. God, God, show me how to use my time and my resources that that I would stop clinging to him because I don't have enough and say, you are enough. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. God, make us a church that, that the little we have as a church, we entrust to you. And we're dreaming for impossible. We're dreaming and believe that you've called us to awaken a generation and see the city forever changed. And in and of ourselves, we cannot do that. But as a people, as we bring our hearts fully to you, you can do that. And you long to do that through us. In Jesus' name, amen.